Two girls talking. You know what that means. It's time to talk. What's going on in the world? How about your business? How about your life? Let's talk it out. Two girls talking. Hey, everyone. It's Ashley. And it's Anna. And, you know, COVID has done a real number on all of us, and it's still doing a number on us. And yet, we find ways to overcome. We as humans find ways to overcome. We continue and we succeed. And that is the story of our guest today. We are so excited to talk with her. Julie Williams is the founder of Project 2043. And we're going to explain that name and what it means in just a bit. But here's just a little bit of Julie's story. She's a former educator. And I would argue that she is still an educator. She's still teaching people today. And like many people, she was laid off during this pandemic, but she turned that disappointment into a real opportunity and her new company. So welcome, Julie. Julie! Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to join you all. Yeah, we're very, very excited uh, that she could have you here, to have you here today. So what made you think that starting a business in the middle of a pandemic was a really good idea? (laughs) Crazy, right? (laughs) (laughs) I got laid off literally a month after we all went into lockdown. And for me, it was, okay, well, what other choice do I really have, right? Because I was laid off. No one, everything was shut down. Everything was frozen. You're seeing all these things on the news about, you know, just this ripple effect across so many industries. And I'm a person where I always think, well, there has to be a silver lining here somewhere. What is it? And um, the idea for Project 2043 had been percolating in my mind for a, quite a long time. And I just honestly felt like it was divine intervention. I felt like, you know, it was divine guidance that was really saying, do it, you know, do it now. And so that's in the midst of everything that was going on is what made me just go for it. Wow. What were you doing before you founded your company? Just so our audience has a better like understanding of your story. Sure. So I've been in education for about 15 years. Um, I started out setting up free after-school tutoring programs in New York City public schools and went all the way to co-found a public elementary school in Newark, New Jersey. And I have since uh, since I left the school, um, I came to D.C. to work with a, a large nonprofit to develop professional um, development resources for educators across the country. And so when, you know, being at a nonprofit, when that opportunity ended, it was that, that moment for me to say, well, hey, how can I take what I'm doing, what I already know people appreciate and are finding valuable, and how can I translate it into something uh, greater to address you know, what I see as a deep societal need um, in our in our country. So that kind of brings us to the name of your company and the mission of your company, Project 2043. So explain that to us, because I know that when I found out about it and I told Ashley about it, I thought, oh, my gosh, that is uh, so interesting. And in, in full transparency, disclosure, I read about you in the Post magazine, the Washington Post magazine, and I thought it was so fascinating. So please tell our listeners about it. Yeah. So uh, I love reading, I love data, and many years ago I came across this article that said, uh, it was from the U.S. Census Bureau, and it said that in 2043, the Bureau projects that people of color will become the majority of the U.S. population. And when I heard that, I was like, hmm, well, 
that's going to change a lot, right? Like that's going to affect everything about how our society is structured and, you know, opportunities and, you know, involvement, representation, so many things about our society. And it has just always just kind of, you know, nod at me a little bit about, well, we're not ready (laughs) for a society that is, you know, truly, um, you know, we have yet to become a truly inclusive and equitable multiracial society. And so what can we do um, as individuals, as organizations, as educators to prepare um, for that historic shift? Wow. That's amazing. Yes. Yes, it is. And what, so, so what is it exactly that your company does? So we provide um, creative educational support um, to help organizations and individuals um, and educators as well to prepare for an inclusive and multiracial society. And so that looks like uh, curriculum development. I do a ton of mm. uh, professional development uh, creation for organizations. I do a lot of creative trainings. Um, I help create programs for youth and for adults to learn about equity and really how do you apply it within your own organization? How do you create an equitable um, organization? Um, How do you uh, identify whether or not your organization is inclusive and what do you do about it? Um, And so it's Mm. a lot of training, right? I, I mean, I think that like even like the topic of DEI as a as a publicist right now, I'm pitching so much about it. There's so much interest from the media, mm-hmm. um, you know, and from like, you know, HR media, business media, but even general media. Um, so do you see that a lot of companies are really open to the idea of equity? Yeah, I, I'm getting a lot of requests from organizations um, for training for their employees um, and they they can range, right? Some organizations are really just looking at it from a, you know, I think a, a purely a check the box, right? We want to say we did something and so we want to do it. Um, but there are other organizations and these are the ones that I, I really enjoy working with that are really looking at how do we create a culture and how do we improve and or change the culture within our organization to be one that is truly equitable, that is truly inclusive, um, and that truly seeks to create a sense of belonging among everyone that works there. And so those are the organizations that I, 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 I love working with because we're thinking not just about a one-time event, but we're thinking about what can we do and what, what, what type of, of information and uh, training and act in practice do people need to be able to um, you know, shift the way organizations operate. So I have two questions for you. Um, how are there a lot of, uh, do, you, do you have a lot of, of clients or organizations that desperately need this help? And are you finding that the people that you're training, I know you say corporations are open to this, but what about the individuals within them? Are they, are they surprised? Are they open? Is this just all woo-woo talk to them? Too much wokeness? Mm-hmm. You know, as some like to say, what are you, what are you finding out there? Yeah, so I'm finding that um, the organizations, those that are that are genuine, you know, are are really interested in in, in shifting the culture. Um, as far as the, the participants, I, I led a class yesterday, and it was fantastic. It was with a um, a hospital um, executives from a hospital, and you know, by the end of the training, they were like, "This needs to be mandatory." Because what we're really doing and, and what I'm really doing is just challenging the way we think about things, 
right? right. Like we've all been taught um, a history, we've you know, consistently shown a version of America that is not inclusive. And as we recognize that, you know, it's not that people have not been here, it's that stories and histories have not been included. And so when yeah. we really think about how we um, move forward, a lot of it is um, filling in all these gaps. And what I find is that people are, one, just, you know, in many ways shocked when they realize or really understand how it's easy to just operate in a bubble. It's easy to just, you know, just not know. And so we talk about, well, how do you change that? How do you become intentional so that you can expand your awareness and your understanding and your um, activism to make sure that people are included? And how do you? Yeah, that's my question too. Yeah, so there, I mean, there are a lot of ways. And so it's funny, I, I, give a, a, I gave a training a couple of weeks ago, maybe it was a couple of months ago, time is flying. Um, but it was looking at how do you use your personal power to advance racial equity? And so all of us, and in that workshop, I talk about how all of us, wherever we are, we have some modicum of power. We may not all have the same power, but we have economic power. We have power within our communities. We have power within you know, our, our, our community organizations, within our workplaces. And so how are we using the power that we do have to advance equity? And then what could that look like? What does that look like? What does it mean to advance racial equity, right? We get into yeah. what does it mean when you are sitting at a table and just having the awareness of who is at the table? Is it, is, does, it, does everyone have the same background? Does everyone have the same racial identity? Do they all go to the same college, right? Like how are we, what does equity look like? What does inclusion look like? What does diversity look like? And challenging people to understand, you know, we, we've been so conditioned to just kind of move along, but we have to recognize who is not in these conversations and, and why. And then what do we do to make sure people are included? I think that's a great point you bring up. I actually had one of my clients is a, a DEI expert, and um, we actually had her do a training through my company. And she took us through this great exercise where it was like, Make a list of like the 10 people that you talk to and hang out with most. Anna, you were on there. Like do a check mark if they have the same political values. Do a check mark if they're your same color. Do a check mark like just to see all the similarities and then take a step back and look at and see what you're missing. And I was like, oh my God, like all my all my friends are like white women like me. And it made me really think like, whole, I'm, like it brought me the awareness of like, wow, I even, me, Ashley has a, a, a long way to go too uh, in like unconscious bias. And I think we're going to talk about that next, but like even seeing like diversity in my own life. And mm -hmm. I think that's like, I think it really needs to start with awareness. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. And actually, um, as you mentioned that, it reminds me of a, a report I read a while ago that looked at um, white Americans and the diversity of their friend groups. And it said about 75% of white Americans have no other racial identities uh, represented in their friend groups. And so when we think about, you know, how people are portrayed, how we learn about people, it's usually from the media, right? It's usually from the sources we take right. in because it's not personal, um, it's not a personal uh, interaction. 
And so part of that absolutely is awareness. Where are we getting our information about different groups of people or about um, different parts of the country and really assessing where that's coming from because it's influencing and, and it can influence our, um, our understanding of others. Mm-hmm. How, this is a question that, and I think it's really, I think it's really, really important. And one of the things that I worry about is how culpable I am in, um, in not creating a diverse enough community for my kids. Yeah. Because, you know, when we moved, when my husband and I moved and if people who've listened to this, to this uh, podcast and actually knows I'm of Mexican descent. Um, I'm a third generation on my father's side, second generation on my mother's side. My mother-in-law is actually naturalized. She's from Germany. Um, my kids are half Latino, half white. Um, and, but when, when you move, as any parent does, when you move to a certain neighborhood, you look at schools. That's what you do. You look to make sure that the pyramids, and we call them pyramids here over in the DMV, we, we, call, we look at the different pyramids and are they a good school? Is it a bad school? Is it a public school? Is it a private school? And my kids go to public, uh, my kids go to public school. My sister is a public school teacher. Uh, I have friends who are public school teachers. I have friends who are private school teachers too, but my kids go to public school. And um, I look at them and I see that the diversity is at the school but I don't know how diverse their friends groups are. And I wonder if that's on me for who I'm not bringing around to show them. Is that weird? No, I don't think it's weird. I think that, um, you know, kids develop friends from a variety of places, right? It's, it's who you're in contact with. Um, Mm -hmm. But also, you know, I think it's it's who you know about and who do you uh, have things in common with and how do you even identify what you have in common with um, with someone mm-hmm. else. Um, right. One of the things that I uh, spoke about a lot um, a couple years ago was, you know, how modeling interracial or rather cross racial friendships is so important for kids because when mm. we look at a lot of children's books, they don't really reflect a lot of cross racial friendships. Right. Right. And yes. so and so that doesn't seem or it cannot seem as normal for them mm-hmm. because this is not modeled even in the, the earliest of children's books. And so I think part of it is modeling that cross racial friendships are important and healthy and then giving kids an opportunity to interact with kids from different racial identities. And, you know, whether it's volunteering or you know different groups, but, you know, creating opportunities for kids whether it's, you know, even, you know, your friends, right, and, and having your friends with kids and having those diverse um, friendships as, as parents gives kids the, 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 the um, it gives them a model of that that's normal and that that's, you know, healthy and it, sh- it should be encouraged. I'm so glad you brought up children's books in particular because when, um, you know, with the murder of George Floyd, I really had the personal awakening of like, oh crap, like I'm not doing enough as a parent. I looked around at all of my kids' books and I'm a book publicist, so we've got books everywhere. And majority of my kids' books were about other white kids. And I was like, this is not okay. So then I made a concerted effort to go buy books by black authors 
at black bookstores with black kids or, or color, like just uh, kids of different ethnicities. It doesn't matter, but just not white. And this has been um, happening in my house for a year now. And we have read some of our favorite best books. And so we're bringing, you know, more um, diversity into our own home, just through the power of the written word and beautiful illustrations. And, um, it's really been an eye-opening experience for me and a good wake-up call. And now I am very conscious about the books um, that I buy for my kids. And 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 basically, I'm like, I don't want it to be another white kid in front on the cover of this book. I want so it's been amazing. We've we've had so much fun reading and learning about people of different backgrounds. Like we've been reading about Frida Kahlo, who's of Mexican descent. My five-year-old daughter wants to be her for Halloween. And so like just just having that practice as a parent to consciously bring in more diversity in your house, just starting with books, it's like such a simple act, but I yeah. think that's so important. Mm-hmm. So scary wants to be Frida. She wants to be Frida. I'll give her the unibrow. Okay, you do the unibrow. I've already got the headband for her. I, I, of course, have all the little clothes for her, too. Just yeah, so you know. perfect. <laughs> I used to live there. I have the clothes there. I know. Um, well, you know what? I was. It's, it's interesting because we're talking about racial diversity, and I do realize that um, it's not like my kids don't have uh, friends who – because my kids are older than Ashes, um, and they do have – they have a – lot more diverse group than I did when I was growing up, quite frankly, in the middle of the United States in Kansas. But they do have a very diverse religious. I'm just saying that within their world, there are lots of different religions, Muslim, Jewish, kosher, the different, you know, sects within those religions as well um, that they've learned about. And, uh, they are a lot more um, certainly aware of like homosexuals and homosexuality, certainly much more than what I, let's be honest, even much more than what I was aware when I was in college, you know, because it just wasn't, you know, spoken about so freely and openly as it is today. So I do, um, I'm happy about that. I'm happy that their eyes are open to more of those types of things um, than, than mine were when I was so shocked when I was like, Oh, okay. I didn't know that. What else can parents be doing, Julie? Like, I mean, it sounds like, you know, I've taken baby steps. I know there's more to be, to be done. Same probably Anna too. What, what, like just from your expertise as an educator, what can we be doing to, um, bring this better awareness, uh, into our children's lives? Um, I think, and I think modeling is really important. Um, I think showing kids that you have that for a parent it's important to have diverse friendships for a for that for their parent it's important that they are going to different shops and they are you know looking you know eating you know that's you know I, I don't want to minimize diversity to foods but you know but like yeah. being you know giving them exposure to different cultures looking at television shows from you know and a, a, a cultural difference that may not be your own, but something you can get exposure to and and, and learn about you know different communities. I think so much of it for parents is modeling and providing opportunity for um, for exposure um, to kids. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Hmm. So, what is 
What's the toughest part of your job in teaching all of us? Just the fact that we're so, I don't know, inept <laughs> at what you're doing? Like, honestly, I think the fair word is ignorant. But yeah, it, yeah, that's the word I was looking for. Yeah, like, that. that's a great question. Like, I feel like usually probably look at so many people are like, oh, my God, they've got so much to learn. And so I know. What is only, only 24 hours in the day. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, that's a great question. What is the toughest part of your job? Um, I think the toughest part, um, I don't know if there's one toughest part, uh, <laughs> I, 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 I think, <laughs> you know, helping people recognize that, you know, learning about inclusion and equity and racism is not a one-time thing. Um, it's funny, I was talking to my father the other day and he's, and we had great conversations and he said, you know, it's a lot like food. You can't just have one meal and think you're set, right? You can't say, oh, I ate mm-hmm. 2019, I'm good. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's, it's yeah. something that, that we have to constantly be mindful of and, um, learn. And, um, and so I think for me, the tough part is, um, or one of the toughest parts is just helping people see that this is not a, a one and done type of a of a uh, act, activity or action that's needed. That it is mm-hmm. ongoing awesome. learning. Yeah, it's ongoing. Yeah. So one thing that you said towards the beginning of our conversation, I kind of want to circle back to. You talked about uh, the population growing, and we are in the midst of a huge population shift. I mean, I think that it's, it, and it's, and honestly, after everything that happened uh, with George Floyd and all the, it's much bigger than just BLM. It really, really is. There's so many people who came together of all races, nationalities, you know, colors, religions, blah, 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 sexual orientations to make this huge push, uh, a push for change. And change has happened. Don't get me wrong. It's at a snail's pace, but, you know, change is happening. But we are in the midst of a population shift. What does that mean for the future? Mm. Oh, that's a big question. <laughs> that's a big question. You know, I think for me at the heart, it requires a reimagining of what our society mm. looks like. You know, okay. At, at the heart of it, because it's been designed from the beginning to advantage um, you know, to advantage white males and white yep. people over any other racial identity, any other racial ethnic group. Um, we've seen that in legislation. We've seen that in, in policies. We've seen that in cultural practices. We've seen that in so much of the way our society operates in the products we buy. I was on a call in the class I taught yesterday. We talked about Band-Aids and how Band-Aids, when they came out, they were designed for fair skin, you know, white, white people in terms of the mm-hmm. color a person of my complexion could not wear a bandaid and it would be hidden, right? Like it wasn't going to mm-hmm. blend in right. with, my, with my skin yeah. tone. So even from that, we think about the products that we use, all the things that have been created in this society to really cater to advance and, you know, people, white people, as opposed to being equitable and inclusive for everyone. And so when I think of, you know, what does it mean I think it means we have to reimagine what an equitable society looks like. And it's not like what we have now. 
And so right. we have to be willing to say and admit what we have now does not work for everyone. And what we have now is not equitable or fair or just. And so what do we do? In what ways can we correct and adjust this system or even completely recreate the system so that it does work for everyone? That's something I'm so glad you brought that up because this is something that I have been thinking about for the past year. Um, and a lot of it has to do with the history of America, mm -hmm. of our country, of the United States. And as you said, it was founded for the betterment of white men and white men only. Women were not included, like, you know, like people of color. It was just white men. And how can, and so I just find myself thinking, like, how can a democracy that was founded upon the betterment for only one certain sector of people, how can it function? Like, does it, maybe it needs to completely change. I, I don't know. I just, I'm just saying this because you bring up something that I've been thinking about for a long time now. Um, it's, it's, it's like changes on the horizon. And I think we're, we as a society are still trying to figure out how to get there mm -hmm. because there are still a lot of white men out there who want the country just to be for white men. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think part of it is, you know, it goes back to, well, I think the foundational part is it goes back to awareness. Um, I think, you know, we live in a society where, you know, we are taught, right? Even right now, there's there's states with, with you know new laws that are being passed about what you can't teach yeah. about and what you can't talk about, and we're going to take your funding if you do this. And so people are trying to literally legislate what people can learn, which yeah. obviously has the impact of influencing you know how people develop their their impressions and understandings of others in our nation. And so I think having that awareness of this is actually how it works. And this is actually how it was created. You may have, I, I've seen so many times online, you know, the system isn't broken. It's working the way it was designed to. And that is something that I think more of us need to, and more people need to recognize is that it was designed to, to provide this outcome. And so yeah. if we want different outcomes. We need to. That's a good one. Yeah. Well, especially in, in the way questions are asked right like i you know it, it is true there's a there's that old saying it's one i i do all the time the way you ask a question determines the answer the way you pose a problem determines the solution and that's very similar to what it is you're saying the way you the way questions are asked in certain ways whether it's a job application or whether it's a survey or whatever sometimes i'd find myself saying i have no idea what i mean that doesn't pertain to me when do I, I mean, that's, I, I've never had that experience. So I can't answer that question. And yes. yet those are sometimes all the stock questions whenever you go to any kind of survey. All the data is out there, right? It's not like anything is um, not been studied or, you know, it's, it's out there. It is, you know, looking at, well, what a, what does it mean to me, my values, my beliefs, knowing that there are so many disparities and then what can I do about it? Um, and I think sometimes it, it also recognizes that um, equity may mean having to readjust one's, um, you know, I, 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 I'm thinking of this, of this phrase and it's like when, and I'm, I'm probably going to butcher this, um, <laughs> but it, it's something along the lines of, 
um, when inequity has persisted for so long, trying to create or reach a more equitable place can feel like you're losing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. For for yeah. those that have been on the who've been receiving advantages, creating equity can feel like like you're losing, right? Because now right. you're and, giving and something I, up, right? When it's been awarded or freely granted or just available, um, you know, I think so. I think there's that awareness and that 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 kind of reality check that in order to be equitable, things are going to need to change to be equitable. Um, not saying that everyone is, you know, not saying that, you know, everyone is going to, you know, I don't know. I, I guess I'll, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> okay. I know, I know, I know what you're, I know what you're saying though. I know what you're saying. It feels like if, when you already own that 40 acres, you don't just want that mule, right? You need something more than just that. Mm-hmm. So it's, if, if Ashley has 10 acres and I have 45 acres and you have five acres, I'm not going to feel it if I give you an extra 10 acres. Ashley might. So maybe she only has to give you three acres, but it's really not going to affect me that much. But if I allow it myself to think about it, I'll be thinking, well, I'm giving up so much. But in the whole grand scheme of things, I'm not. Because mm-hmm. you still have a lot less than me. Yep. And, and what you described is actually, I wrote a blog post a while ago about equity, about the difference between equality, equity, and justice. And a lot of people confuse the first two terms, right? Equality is giving everybody the same thing, but everybody may not need the same thing, right? If someone is six feet tall and someone is five feet tall, they don't each need, you know, the same thing in order to be able to see over a fence. Maybe the six foot tall person can easily see over the fence naturally, but the person that's five feet tall, maybe they have a little, they they can't see they're not tall enough. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, distributing resources, or equality, giving everybody the same thing, doesn't always meet the needs that everyone has. So that's where there's mm-hmm. equity. So to your example about um, you know distributing acres, that is one where everybody gets what they need, so that everyone has an opportunity to see over the fence or farm in the case of the acres or whatever they're going to yes. do. Right, right, um, right. Yes. You know, and and the really the the goal is justice, so that the barriers aren't in, aren't there to begin with, right? So that in the case of seeing over a fence there's no fence there, right? There's, there's no barrier preventing anybody from participating. So I have a question for you, and it might be a little bit difficult, but what is, what is one thing, one thing that each of us can do to be a little more inclusive? It's just like one thing. What can I do when I, you know, what am I talking about? R- random act of kindness? What am I talking about? Yeah, I'd like something for our listeners to take away too. Like, okay, what can we start doing to be more inclusive? Um, I would say one thing everyone can do is just do a quick audit of your media sources. Um, do a quick audit, similar, Ashley, where you talked about you um, looked at your friend group and you kind of went through that exercise. I would say do the same for your media sources. You know, where are you getting your news? What books are you reading? Mm-hmm. Who are you following online? Um, are you... Um, learning about or giving yourself opportunity to hear from people who have historically been marginalized. Are you including LGBTQ plus people? Are you including you know, trans journalists? Are you who who are you following? Who are you learning about? Um, and you know, and I would say that's one thing that you can do. There are a ton of you know books and um, 
studies and articles and interviews and all these things by people of so many different uh, racial identities. You know, there's the, in our indigenous, you know, population has so much to offer. Are we allowing ourselves to hear from people in all these different communities? Or are we kind of in a silo and, and really not hearing anything but, you know, the same thing? So I would say, for one thing, I would say audit your media sources. Mm. I think that's something we should just all do just to be healthy. Yeah. Uh, Lord, Lord knows. I, I, well, I just kind of feel that right now the whole country is in a situation where we're only listening to people who think like us. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, we, we can't mm-hmm. yeah. to grow. We just, and to, and to be better humans, yeah. we should and not I, just do that. Yeah. And I think, you know, it, uh, Chimamanda Adichie has a wonderful mm-hmm. um, TED Talk. You, your listeners may have heard it. You all well, it's called the power, I think it's called the danger of a single story. Mm. And in it, she talks about, you know, when you only see a person as one thing, you miss out on everything else about that individual. And so when, you know, narrowing an individual or a group of people to one thing is incredibly dangerous. And so I think going back to why, you know, auditing your sources is so helpful is because then we can say, or am I only getting, you know, this one perspective, or my only get, which may or may not be complete, right? It could be ac- inaccurate as well as, you know, abundant in your video feed, um, you know? And so really kind of auditing, um, I think it's, it's so powerful because then it can help you see there's, there's, there's so much more than what we often allow ourselves to see. This has been such an amazing conversation. I feel like it's so yes. important. One that we could ha- I could just we could keep going for hours. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's, I'm so, so happy that you were able uh, to talk to us. And actually, I'm just happy I was able to listen to you. Aww. Yeah, me too. This has been so amazing, Julie. Where can our listeners find more information about you and the work that you're doing? Um, they can uh, uh, go to our website. It's uh, Project 2043, the numbers 2043, um, project2043.com. Great. Thank you so much, Julie. Uh, I am so glad I read that article and I'm so glad that you responded to my email. Um, I really feel that, 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 uh, I have so much more to learn, so much more to learn. And I appreciate everything. And this has been, you know, a stepping stone for our learning journey. And Julie, like, thank you just for, you know, being that spark in the world that we really need right now. Um, and just doing the great work that you're doing. It's such an honor to have you on our show today. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity. Listeners, I hope you guys had as great a time as Ashley and I did. And uh, we'll see you again. And oh, you'll hear us again in two weeks. All right. Bye, everyone.